Church of the Red Door, visitors were, uh, I saw a lot of visitors out there, some people that we know, some, saw some Lynx folks all the way from the frozen tundra of the Northwest. Uh, is Idaho the Northwest? Is that officially the Northwest? Well, that counts, that counts. Montanaites and Canadianites and all you crazy people, uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're with us this morning. Uh, allow me to pray, if you would. Lord, we come to you uh, humbly we recognize, as you so clearly spoke through the prophet Isaiah some 2,700 years ago and 700 years before the time of Jesus, my ways are not your ways. The way I think about things is not the way you think about things. Lord, that, that strikes us. It, it, it humbles us. It, it makes us recognize Jesus' words of, if you want to enter the kingdom, understand the kingdom, be able to operate in the kingdom that he so clearly articulated. We have to become like children. We have to admit that, Lord, we, we have to rethink life. We have to rethink, well, the way we think about everything. And that's why one of the reasons we come here, not only to worship and to be together as community, but to, to try to retrain our brains to think like you think. Uh, Lord, eternally, outside of time and space, Lord, this life is but a breath. Help us internalize that reality today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, here's the, here's the story. We, uh, we have been in Luke 19 for quite a while now. Uh, we've gotten to the point that Jesus is overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he is weeping over the city. That's what we've been camping out in this area, and I made the... I made the point a number of weeks back that this is very similar in terms of pattern to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah came in and wept over the city. He knew that the, the Babylonians were going to come, come in, and it was imminent, and they were going to, well, they were going to wipe out the very chosen people, the religious elite, the kings. The, uh, many of those uh, living during the time of Jeremiah were not pleased at all with that. But if you go back historically, we've, we've seen any number of people that had to come with a prophetic word for the people of Israel and others, even prior to the nation of Israel, strong words of, well, imminent doom. And that's, well, that's never popular. I would love to be in a culture where we just, I don't have the task of telling people the bad news. I've always wondered, I know we have a number of doctors that are here with us today, what it must be like to have to go to a patient and tell them that they are terminal. I don't know how, the, I don't even know how you would be able to do that. I don't know if you're, it's like EMT people, they come up on a, a crash scene, do you get to a certain place where you don't, you don't internalize it as much, or do you just weep over the people that are, maybe a car accident that you come up on, or something, is it, what is it that, well, we don't know, I, I, I can't imagine that, and until I get to the gospel, and the gospel always starts with you know, the, the world is living under the wrath. Uh, Ephesians 2 says you were by nature children of wrath. That is not a popular message. People don't want to hear that. And yet the prophetic spirit in all these men, all for all time, and yet it, those people that would listen would actually have their lives preserved. And that was the case with Jeremiah. This is again the case with Jesus weeping over the city. Not one stone will be left upon another he knew not the Babylonians this time, but the Romans, and their, their time was imminent. 
And we've been asking the question, is there a pattern here that we should discover? And I want to go into some real specificity today and say yes. And not only is this an an object lesson or a history lesson for us to go back, you know, we're talking now 2,600 years or so, but this actually has import for us today in the 21st century, right here in the Coachella Valley. It's a challenging message. It's not a maybe an uplifting message at first glance, and yet it is the most uplifting message. We've been tasked as ambassadors to go into a culture that does not want to hear this, but to ring a sound of alarm that you are separated from your creator outside of Jesus. It is a narrow path. Do we, and this is the question we've asked the last few weeks, do we as a community weep over our neighbors? Do we weep over that? Or have we somehow positioned ourselves as the holier-than-thou crowd and look down on those that don't either believe the things that we know to be true or in, well, many of them are not enjoying the abundant life that we're enjoying and then we actually judge them? Jesus himself said, I didn't come into the world to judge it. I came to save it. Should that be our task as well? I think we'll see through the pattern of Jeremiah and Jesus today, we're going to extend that onto us in the 21st century. And in doing so, we will learn how to live rightly, and we will be able to significantly narrow the margin in our mind of what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, of course, there's those daily things that the Spirit speaks to us. For, for those of you who are now given your life to Jesus, been baptized and filled with the Spirit, you have that internal knowledge, just that, that intuitive sense. We call that the Holy Spirit's leading, but there's also, there are also templates. There are broad templates by which every believer must follow. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to go back, and I'm going to give you kind of a comparative study in some very specific areas that where Jeremiah and Jesus overlapped. Jeremiah, I believe, was a prefiguring in many ways of the path that Jesus must follow, and then Jesus was a prefiguring of the path that Paul must follow. And then in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul says, now the pattern that you have in us, follow that. And lastly, before we start here, we suggested that the recognition of patterns is one of those things that denote real intelligence, whether it's the Mensa or anything else, trying to ascertain what IQ a person has, much of it is dependent upon pattern recognition. Should it be also the same in the spiritual realm? Can we recognize patterns that we can then walk into? It's difficult to walk in an area where we can't see where we're going. The spiritual realm doesn't have any physical landmarks. It doesn't have a place where we can see with our physical eyes. The Bible says we don't walk according to what we see. We walk according to what we cannot see. That doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. It means that we must walk into, well, the very paths of, well, many of the forefathers. First, go back to Hebrews chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 1, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believing Jews of his day. Today we would call them Messianic Jews. Many of you have been here at Church of the Red Door long enough. Dr. Seref from Israel, I serve on that board. He often is here and has spoken to us at various points. 
believing Jews in Israel, believing in Jesus, partnered in, in great relationship with their Arab brothers who also believe in Jesus. There is great hope for the Middle East in Christ. So he's writing to the Messianic Jews, if you will. They wouldn't have called themselves that at the time. But referentially, we will say, writing to the believing Jews, here's what he says. God, after he spoke long ago... <clears throat> okay, now think, think what he's saying. He's speaking to his Jewish countrymen. Paul, after he speaks long ago, excuse me, God, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions... And in many ways, we'll discuss that, and then next slide, in these last days has spoken to us, and his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Okay, so what does that mean? What is Paul trying to get to? He said, do you recognize that God spoke? Now, at this point, when he's talking about speaking to the fathers and speaking to the prophets, he's also talking about the Old Testament. He spoke very clearly to our fathers and very clearly to the prophets. And then he says, in a lot of different ways, many portions and in many ways. You have to understand that these templates are repeated over and over and over. Why? For clarity. Jesus had perfect clarity on why he was on the earth. The question is, does the Western church, does this does Church at the Red Door, do we have clarity as it relates to our mission? How do we actually follow Jesus? If he spoke in many portions and in many ways, and progressively, it's unveiled even more. Now, the prophets didn't see as clearly as we do. They, those prophets that existed well in advance of Jesus, we, they didn't see with that kind of clarity, but they were describing what God was speaking to them and it is so instructive for us now. If only we have ears to hear. Ears to hear. So, we do, don't we? We have ears to hear today. Okay, well, number one, Jesus. Well, both, both Jesus and Jeremiah were tempted with a crisis of faith. If you think you're going to start following Jesus and you're never going to have a crisis of faith... Well, you're ill-prepared for the journey ahead. I'd love to say that I've just, my faith has been linear, and that from the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I just was like this, and I never wavered, and there was never any season in my life in which I, well, uh, maybe a tragic season where there was death or where there was illness, and, and there's been a lot of that in our lives. I would love to say that all my faith was just as stable, just as rock solid as it ever was, growing each day, each month, year by year, just onward and upward, never, never failing. I can't say that's been my experience. And most of the people that I pastor or I'm around, well, they have similar experiences. Should that be unusual for our template well, some would say, yeah, if I have a crisis of faith. Some people just give up. They just quit coming to church or they, they, they quit reading their Bible. They say, I don't even know if I believe anymore. And then they, they just kind of disappear. And I've seen so much of that in my life. And I'm like, don't you recognize part of the template is at times, there are times, there are moments where you have to cry out to God. Read the Psalms. I mean, it's just filled with David and others having, having moments like, Lord, where are you? Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15, verse 18. Now, this is one of the greatest guys. He prophesied for 45 years. Talk about faithful. He was hated. He was considered an enemy of the state. 
He was telling them everything that they didn't want to hear. As we saw last week, he was thrown in a, in a pit, in a cistern, muddy up to here. I mean, you can imagine he had some moments. Listen to what he says in verse 18 of Jeremiah 15. Why has my pain been perpetual? He's speaking to the Lord here. And my wound seems incurable. Are you here today and you're like, you know what? I just, maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a situation that you just cannot extricate yourself from. When is this ever going to pass? Well, Jeremiah's right there with you. He says, my wound is incurable. It refuses to be healed. Will you indeed be to me, Lord, like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Have you ever felt that in your, in your walk? Well, if you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll, you'll feel like, I don't even know if he is aware of what's going on in my life. Does he even see my life? Lord, was this like a mirage? You ever had that situation? I remember as a child watching this movie. I don't remember what it was. That was I couldn't have been more than 9 or 10 years old. And, and we had this 85-inch screen. No, it was a screen about that big. And it was a black and white. And uh, we, it, that was before the days of remote control. So my, now my dad, he, father, uh, I, I still honor my dad. I love my dad, but he, was, he did not want to buy a new TV. I'll just put it that way. I won't say he was tight or anything like that, but he just didn't want to buy a new TV. Probably wanted to pay for my education or something. But. So we had a little pair of pliers that were attached because the knob had fallen off. And this was in the, we had one TV in the house, which actually is a good thing probably. It was about this big. It was a black and white. And we watched Super Bowls on that and everything's black and white TV. And, it, and the knob had fallen off and it had a little player, some wrench or something and it was permanently on there. And dad would get home after a long day at work and, hey, son, you want to come watch TV with me? Which I knew what that meant. You're close enough to where you can actually flip it. There were like maybe five or six stations on the thing and you just down there and you kind of flip it. No, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, <clears throat> And I was, remember watching this movie as a, as a kid, and they had somehow crashed their plane in the desert or something, and they were, they were dying of thirst. And uh, they had this, they found something, and they were trying to squeeze the water out of it, and they were all just like, just barely, just barely enough to survive. And then they would see something in the distance, looks like a lake, and they would get there, and it was just a mirage. Jeremiah is saying, that's what it feels like right now. I'm dying of thirst, and I don't even think you see my plight. Think you're the first one to feel that? I think our family at various points in the last number of years has at least had the temptation to just sit in that place. Maybe you're in that place today. It's part of the journey. I found in retrospect when I'm in those moments where it appeared at the moment that maybe God was in fact a deceptive stream, that he did more profound things in those moments in my life than I could ever imagine. And times when things are dry, it forced my own roots to grow down deeper. I found that tragedy and dry times have led to great growth in my own personal life. But again, that's another story. How about Jesus? Was Jesus in the same place? Listen to Jesus in Matthew 27. We know it well. In verse 46, it says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice as he's hanging on the cross. Can you imagine? 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. What does that mean? Well, it's, it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right in the footsteps of Jeremiah. This is the God-man wondering if God was, in fact, why have you turned your back off? Well, Jesus knew exactly the answer. Now, I, I find that the same with myself. I, I, it's not that I don't know the answer. I'm just, it's almost as if I'm crying, Lord, I cannot believe I'm going through this. Where are you? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? And yet Jesus, as we know, we're all here because he didn't try to crawl down off that cross. He could have called for a myriad of angels. He, the, the entire cosmos would have shaken had Jesus just said, get me down off this cross. He could have, but he chose not to. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Did you know both Jeremiah and Jesus talked about loving God with your mind and yet somehow just having plain religion? It was the same in the time of Jeremiah. It's the, it was the same during the time of Jesus. And it's the same today. We're going to see that next week when we get into this whole money changers and him coming in and this whatever you want to call it, righteous indignation. I should have brought a table and just turned it and had money all over it and just thrown it. I mean, it was a scene, man. It was a scene. And we'll look at why he did that. But part of that emerges right out of this reality. During the time of Jeremiah, there were religious phonies. During the time of Jesus, there were religious phonies. Today, there are religious charlatans and phonies. Why should we be surprised? I don't get involved in institution, you know, institutionalized religion because there's a bunch of phonies. Of course there are. are you, is, that, is that shocking to you? Is that surprising to you that someone might come in our midst and not be here to worship or to find out more about Jesus, or maybe they're just here to explore, and maybe they're here for nefarious reasons. I don't know. I mean, over time, you kind of figure some of those things out, but are you surprised that this happens? They weren't. Listen to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 12, 2. Lord, you are near their lips, but you're a million miles away from their mind. You are far from their mind. Jesus said similar words, Matthew 22, verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And yet, as he would turn and look at many of the religious leaders of his day, you are like a whitewashed tombstone. You look good on the outside. But deep down, there's some real systemic problems going on here. The culture may look at you and identify you as being the... Well, they're religious, but in fact, I know you to be full of dead men's bones. Those were strong indictments. We've been undergoing at our house a few of these, uh, or a, a repainting of our house. And uh, it's easy to say, okay, we've got a little issue over here. Uh, and in fact, it was the case this last week that we had a little bit of a uh, well, it was actually all the way back from that little hurricane that we experienced, and we did experience that if you weren't here during the summer months, but uh, it, was quite, uh, it was quite wild to experience. I never thought hurricane in Palm Springs. Yeah, that's hurricane. I didn't expect that. And uh, we realized that we had a few uh, leaks in our roof, which was not fun at all. 
And uh, right above our bed, right, Laura's in, in my bed, right above our bed, there was a growing uh, circle of water, and it wasn't yet dripping on us, but I could feel the, that torture thing, that was just the slow ch and then we had one in the living room, and then we had uh, one in a, a little casita area, and then we had one in my bathroom. So there was, I was like, oh, man. I was, and, and, and I was like, what would the, in, the impulse would be? I got to sell this house, let's paint over it, and sell the house. Well, we found out that when we bought the house, that's exactly what the former owner had done. <laughs> and that's no lie. You think these leaks, leaks were bad. I mean, it was, because we've been in this house for over 15 years. When we first moved in, it was everywhere. Bubbles in the wall, coming down. And then we really got the microscope out, and we started to look. And you could say, well, you can actually see that they just painted over this stuff. And so in this house, and I've been, you know, so what we had last week, rather than just painting over it and then selling the house said, we need to, again, we had put a new roof on, and then we had one of my friends came out and, uh, from Andalusia, and he began to put this, it was, it was an easy find, it was part of the drain thing, kind of come up on a few places, we played all the drains, all the skylights, all the, oh yeah, I still hadn't paid the bill, but nevertheless, uh, and the feeling was, and I, I said, when we leave this house, we are going to do unto others as we would have them do unto to, to us, we do not want to leave the buyer of this house in a situation where we just whitewashed it, where we look, it looked good when they bought it, but boy, that first rain hits, and uh, well, we have hightailed it out of, the, out of the state. No, that's not going to be us. We should be comfortable to be able to move right next door and live next to that person and have that person just as content and happy that they bought that house, all right? So... That, that, but that's religion, you know? It looks so good from the outside. You know, people dress up, and they look good, and they got their thing. And then, but you know what's going on in the inside. Now, none of us are perfect, but we are an aspirational community. There isn't, we are aspiring to become like the Savior of our soul. We are, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Not the case in Jeremiah's day. Not the case with everybody in Jesus' day. And don't be surprised if it still is the case that you run into religious hypocrisy, do not be surprised. Do not let it catch you off guard. Why should it? And again, well, I leave the church because it's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, just understand that's just part of the story. You know, both Jeremiah and Jesus, they both promised rest for the souls of those who would listen to the message. I'm here today, too, to pronounce to you that there is a place where you can find rest for your soul. In the preaching of the 21st century, it has not changed. From the time of Jeremiah, listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Here's what Jeremiah says. Again, just to, for those of you who are kind of new to your Bible, Jeremiah is a, one of the major prophets of Israel. He is writing uh, as, the, as Israel is about to go and in the process of going into captivity about 600 years before the time of Jesus. And this is what he wrote. Verse 16 of Jeremiah 6, thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. Now before you go on there, here we begin. What are these ancient paths? They are well-worn, often walked paths of righteous men and women. 
Men and women who will go right down this lane. They will confront religious hypocrisy. They will have crisis of faith in their own life. They will do all these things. They will weep and mourn over those around them that cannot hear God's clarity of voice through the prophets or through Jesus himself or through Jeremiah or even through a preacher in the 21st century. And they weep over that. These are well-worn, ancient paths. And that's exactly what Jesus, Jeremiah is saying here. Stand by the ways. See, ask for these ancient paths where the good way is. And walk this way, right? And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we're not going to walk in that. We're not going to walk in that. The hardest thing I do from day to day is I meet, meet with people often. And, and you know, as your pastor, I'm not just Mr. Office guy. I, I, I want to be in the field. I, I'm an evangelist at heart. I love talking to people about Jesus, people that have never really heard the gospel. I love it. I, I, I thrive off that. That's how, I, that's how I recharge. That doesn't drain me. I recharge in that area. And then sometimes I'll spend time with people at a certain point. You know whether they verbalize that or not. You can sense it. What they have effectively said by their actions is, I'm not going to walk that kind of, I'm not going to walk that kind of life. I tried that. It didn't work for me. You know, you can't trust the Bible. And then they'll just start, they'll look for things. They'll begin to read books. They'll find cultural commentators that, well, that just kind of tickle their ears, make them feel good about where they are, whatever it is. But the hard task of following Jesus, and it is hard. It's easy and hard. It's an easy yoke, and yet it's also difficult. How can it be an easy yoke and pick up your cross and follow me? It's that strange balance between the two. There are times that it feels like it's ripping the inside out of me. And yet at other times it seems so easy and so abundant and so beautiful. And I just, I relish in those moments. But sometimes it's hard. And I see that in others. Well, Jesus had the same encounters. Listen to Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what we're doing here. If you have ears to hear this morning, learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You are a soul. You have a spirit. In Christ, through the spirit, your spirit is either alive or dead. When Paul says you were dead in your transgressions and sins, that means your soul was dead. It means your spirit was dead, closed off to the very creator himself. But in Christ, that avenue, that veil is ripped, and you can go right into the presence of the creator of the universe, and you can reconnect in the, the rich sap from that root. Use any metaphor you want. The water, in the, you're dry in that water it just, not only does it fill you, it begins to overflow out of you. You're famished and it's the daily bread. Whatever metaphor you want to use, you are reconnected to the source of everything your soul needs. But again, some say, I'm not going to walk in that. I'll give, it, I'll give it my best shot. I can live separate and independent from God. People, again, and many of you have heard me talk about this, but 
Oftentimes people say, I can do that, and then they said, I don't believe in a God who sends people to hell. Well, you have to understand what hell is. Hell is filled with people who said, I'm not going to walk in that way. I don't want you to rule over me. And so God finally, graciously gives you exactly what you've always asked for, total and utter independence from his rule and reign and by necessity also his presence. And that is not a place I would want to live. That's all hell is, is eternal separation from his nature. 1 John 4 says, Jesus, excuse me, says, God is love. He finally abandons you as you have so desired. But until you die, God is not abandoning you. Maybe you're watching on television and right now you're hearing this and you're saying, you know, I've gone so far past the pale here, there's no way. God is chasing you down. He loves you, but in Christ, his dealings with you change. He's always loved you, but in Christ, he can deal with you in a different way. He can deal with you as a child, as part of the family. Right now, he deals with you as a rebel. He loves you, but he has to deal with you as a rebel. Both spoke, this is fascinating to me, both spoke about a new covenant. Do you realize that? That Jeremiah is that in the ancient past, he begins to speak about a new covenant. He can't fully see what that means. If you don't know what a new covenant, it's just a deal that God has with humanity. The first covenant was the Mosaic covenant. Here's the law. Nobody could follow it. As a result, it was a crushing burden for Israel and all who try to live under it. Try to be like God on your own. Try to be independent of the source of the living creator and be like him in your own fallenness. Good luck with that. All that's going re- to happen there is you can, you'll dress up the outside. You could become religious. But until you're connected through Christ, you will never, and let me repeat, you will never have any chance to become like him. I don't care how hard you try. You can be better than your neighbor, and if you compare yourself, you can always find somebody that you're better than, but relative to the creator himself, you'll always fall short, always fall short. But God spoke of a new covenant, and where does he do this? He does this through the prophet Jeremiah in a more clear way than he had ever said. It's a progressive statement, but it's so powerful. This is repeated often in the New Testament. Jeremiah 31, catch this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What's he talking about? Another well-worn ancient path, a template. They were coming out of Egypt through the baptism and into the wilderness I mean, the same thing we do. We come out of the world. We go through our baptism. For them, it was literally the Red Sea. And then we go into a place of reconstruction, and that happens in the wilderness. He says, they broke that, even though I was a husband to them. And then verse 33, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, not a religious external only religious hypocrisy. No, I'm going to put it on their heart and I'm going to write on it and I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. Wow. What's that day going to look like? And they will not, again, teach each other and his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me, those under the new covenant. Can you imagine this? From the least to the greatest, so it's not going to be a societal thing, only for kings or only for the elite or the wealthy. 
For the lowest to the highest, they'll all know me, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He said that day's coming. It would be 600 long years but then, all of a sudden, Jesus emerges. Here he is at the Last Supper, Luke 22, verse 20. We're going to come upon this in the next, uh, whenever we get there, in our, in our little jaunt through Luke. And listen to what it says. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, and they said, this is the cup, it's pour, and it's poured out for you, and this is the new covenant in my blood. What was, he, what was he claiming to do? He's saying, remember what Jeremiah said? Remember that? Remember he was prophesying about this new deal that God was going to have with humanity, that they weren't going to have to just live under the law, that they would be able to live by faith, and, and then if they would apply the, my blood to their life, I'm not even going to remember their sin anymore. Remember what Jeremiah said? Remember what he was talking about all those years ago? Remember the specific specificity of what Jeremiah said, that moment is now. I don't know that they fully understood the implications at that moment. I mean, these were fishermen and tax collectors. But boy, I'm telling you, once the Holy Spirit filled them on Pentecost, they began to God said, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to bring to your memory everything that I've spoken to you. And I'm telling you, at that moment, I cannot imagine the jubilation that they experienced once they put that together. Jeremiah talking about a new covenant? Jesus talking about a new covenant? Of course, the question is, should we talk about the new covenant? Is that still the ancient path for us? Are we to still talk about this ancient covenant, these ancient paths? That's what we're doing today. It's not always done. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why we get away from blood and talking about this and, we, and people don't want to talk about the cross and they just want to use the Bible in some way to help them in their lives. I don't know why people want to think about Christianity. I, just, I go to a church and they just tell me you know, things that can help me in my life. Well, certainly we do that. Certainly they're, they're great instruction, but we have to stay centered on the epicenter is Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. That's the foundation for everything we talk about. And then, yes, God will give you insight and wisdom and discernment, and you can study Proverbs, and you can study things that will help your marriage and your relationships and everything, but the foundation is the gospel. Lastly, before we get to next week, lastly, now this is going to be strange for some of you when I say this, both Jeremiah and Jesus, and I'm going to make this statement, and by extension, realized that in some way they were sheep and that they were lambs, and in some way they themselves were going to suffer greatly as sheep. Now, that sounds strange. For Jesus, it was the lamb led to slaughter. Now, I'm not ever going to die for the sins of the world as if in any way my life would ever be atonement. But Jeremiah, listen to Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah 11. We're closing with this. Verse 18, Moreover, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew it. Then you showed me their deeds. So he knew what he was up against. But I was, I was like, he wasn't, he was like. It's a metaphor. I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised plots against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. 
And let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. When you read that, if you didn't know your Bible, and even if you just had a cursory understanding of Jesus, if I went into any university today and people just had a, just a generalized understanding of what Jesus claimed to be about himself, and I read that, they'd say, that's what Jesus said. It's very close, but that's exactly what Jeremiah said. Well, the question for us is this. Does this give clarity to our own walk? And I know this is going to seem strange to some of our ears. Well, Jesus, we know, John 1, 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that Jesus was the unblemished Lamb, that Jesus was led to slaughter, as Isaiah had seen so clearly. Jeremiah even saw himself in some ways as someone that was... Well, that was going to be persecuted. It's just a metaphor he used. How about us? Do you think in any way that, well, we know we're sheep. John 10 says that we're the sheep and he's the shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. We, we recognize if you've been following Jesus or have been around the Bible at all, you recognize we're the sheep. <laughs> I'd like to not be the sheep. I'd like to be the the valiant steed or something like that. I mean, if I'm going to be an animal, I'd rather be that. I don't mean sheep, you know. Sheep will just walk right off a cliff. They'll, they'll, I mean, they get all kinds of... This last week, my, my friend Hollis uh, and Donna, and Hollis was talking about it. He, he, they had this piece of oil property, and they fenced it all in, and still somehow the sheep would get in there, and they'd, just, they'd get in trouble, and they'd have to get them out. He said, man, sheep are dumb. I don't want to be a sheep, but Jesus says I'm a sheep. The question is, did Jesus, does Jesus ever send his sheep into dangerous situations? Well, he did the early disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's encouraging. Wow. <laughs> now, here's how I want you to be. I know you're sheep. You're totally dependent upon my voice. But sheep are smart in this one way. If they know the voice of their shepherd, they will only follow that voice. They will not follow the voice of another. Sheep are, they're not that smart, but they're smart enough to follow the voice. And he said, okay, you sheep, now I'm sending you out into the midst of wolves. And here's what I want you to do. I know this is hard to understand. <laughs> I want you to be shrewd. And I want you to be as shrewd as serpents. Now, what did he mean by that? He meant this. He said, look, I, Satan is always the picture of the serpent, the, the cold-blooded reptilian, you know. It was the serpent in the garden. It's the dragon. It's the, in the revelation. It's, so that's always a picture of Satan. Satan is shrewd. He knows he has limited resources. He, knew, he knows he has limited time even. He knows that he'll use any, by any means possible... He's going to advance his agenda, which is corruption and deceit and despair for humankind. Now, does Jesus want us to do that? Of course. He, of course not. He wants the opposite, but he wants us to use shrewd tactics. I have limited time. I have limited resources. If I'm going to partner with people, they're going to be people that I trust I can't just go out there and be willy-nilly. I, I need to have a path. I need to, I, under, I need to understand the ancient paths. I need to understand the template that God has for all of humanity. 
Uh, I need to be involved in community enough to where I can use my gifts and also have access to other gifts so that we can be functional and fruitful. I've got to be at least as shrewd as Satan is. I'm pulling for the light, he's pulling for the darkness, but I'm going to be as shrewd as he is. And then the second part of that, even though I do send you out as sheep among wolves, here's what I'm going to ask. I want you to be as innocent, as innocent as you can imagine. As, well, let's see, a dove. I want you to be as innocent as a dove. As it relates to evil, I want you to be innocent. But I want you to be shrewd. But you are a sheep, and I will send you out among the wolves. Now, was that just for his disciples? I promise you it was not just for his disciples. You know how many people have been martyred for the case of Jesus over the last 2,000 years? You know how many people will die today as missionaries in foreign dangerous places? Oh, they're wolves. But guess what? There are wolves in our own society today. You may not be physically assaulted. You may not be thrown in jail. But you may be ostracized or spoken about behind your back or mocked in some ways. All those things I've incurred in my life. And I care less and less and less about that happening, by the way, because I'm more and more and more in love with the creator of my soul. So I become, does that make me more courageous? No, it just makes me more practiced. I didn't die when began, people began to speak about me and going, oh, that's the religious guy. You got to watch him. <laughs> watch for that guy, man. And, and I've been falsely accused of things and all that. And I just say, that's all part of the territory. If they did it to Jeremiah, if they did it to Jesus, if they did it to the disciples, the original 12, they'll probably do it to me. And that's okay. It's part of the ancient pathway. Does that make sense? So... We have an unusual morning for you now. We only have a few minutes left. My message is finished, and everybody said, amen. amen. Yeah, amen. It's over. It's over. <laughs> That's tough, man. I need, I need some encouragement today. I need some encouragement. Well, I do have some encouragement, but we also have some significant family business. Now, we, I debated, we debated, the executive team, the elders, we prayed about that this week. We really, we discussed there's some very important things that we need to communicate to you, the Church at the Red Door family, about what you probably saw. If you didn't, you should see it. You do realize the place is graded over there on Jefferson and 49th. You do realize that. I know there's a big, there's a big fence. You can't see back there. Did you see the foundations being laid? Did you see the sticks beginning to go up? Did you see that? Uh, it's happening. There's no turning back now. Uh, but we, we have a couple little situations that I want to, uh, as a family, and look, we could call a different thing, call a prayer meeting, we could get people, I could send out an email. I know you don't read your emails, number one. <laughs> I could send out a text. I, uh, you kind of don't even do that either, right? So, uh, but I also recognize that there are many of you maybe visiting for the first time or you don't really are. So uh, I know this is odd, but there's no way around this. Let me just allow me to say... I'm going to have everybody stand up and just greet your neighbor one more time, do a seventh inning stretch. I'm telling you, five minutes. Are you ready for this? Only five minutes. But if you don't, don't think that this, you need to be on the inside of this uh, conversation, that's fine. Everybody get up for three minutes here. Uh, feel free to exit. And then for those of you who want to know what's going on and where we are and some of the necessities of the moment, I will t I, I'm, I'm here to share it with you. Are you ready? And you can time me, and it's 10 o'clock now. We've got three minutes. 
By 10.10, I'm done. You're out of here. And if not, we have tomatoes that we handed out in the back, and you begin to begin hurling them at the stage in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So stand up if you would, three minutes. Feel free to exit stage left if you need to.